As long as he hasn't short sold his hogs, he's going to do okay. Obviously, the perfect world would have been I had the clairvoyance in order to buy $3.50 corn, left my hogs wide open, and, uh, and we're enjoying the ride. Want to be the first one to know all about the global pork market? On Swine Trends by APC, the latest updates are easily shared with you. Hello to all my swine industry friends. I'm Dr. Joe Crenshaw, your host for today's episode of Swine Trends. Here it is uh, already in May of 2021. Uh, Joe, what's uh, going on in the global pork supply and demand today? We we, we have a, certainly a uh, profitable year uh, so far. Things are looking up, but what, what's going on moving forward? Well, you got a lot of moving parts, Dr. Crenshaw. Uh, so l- let's start off with uh, what's not going on in the market, and that is uh, the the supply side has not been the impetus to our price appreciation. This has absolutely been a demand market. That if you take a look at year over year is kind of tough, simply because of that 2020 aberration. Uh, but but the physical supply of pork on the market is equal to or roughly equal to uh, what we've had in 2019, and yet price are significantly higher. Uh, So when we take a look at uh, real per capita expenditures, uh, they are markedly higher. We just had some data that came out yesterday again that shows we're up about 5%. And this is a a tide that rises uh, all boats in the harbor there, raises all boats in the harbor because you've got uh, 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 turkey breast trading at over a buck 75, uh, chicken breast over $2, uh, beef cutout making new life a contract highs with the exception of of the way aberrant uh, uh, 2000 2020 experience. Uh, so we've got a lot of good things happening in the whole protein sector. Uh, pork is along for the ride at this point in time. And I see a lot of good things ahead. Um, uh, when you talk about what's going on in the world, of course, we've got Germany that's got their difficulties with ASF that's being filled in on a global export scenario by Spain. Uh, but by and large, are some ripple effects, uh, some uh, uh, Danish feeder pigs and wean pigs, uh, the same thing coming out of the Dutch are, are being reduced uh, as that market has evaporated. And so uh, the the China ASF story is uh, long from unfolding itself. Uh, Certainly seems as if this new strain is even more virulent and a little more difficult to contain than the previous one. Uh, Exports are are off a freckle. uh, But uh, when I share that with you, it's because 2020 was by far a record. This is the second highest export book we've had uh, on ever on the history of mankind, in addition to the domestic side. So we've got a, a really, really blue sky scenario. I think a long runway of profitability uh, for producers as long as we don't mess it up. That's good. They, you know, if we think about uh, uh, the current situation, uh, what are you hearing about export logistics, uh, you know, container shortages right. and those kind of things? Uh, how long is this going to last? Oh, certainly that's a difficulty. Uh, and, and I don't have a timeline on when that starts to erase itself. Uh, uh, how about this? For all the rhetoric that we're hearing, we don't have the tangible evidence that it's making such a negative impact uh, as to thwart what I just shared with you is the second largest quantity of exports ever coming out of the United States. Uh, it would appear to me that uh, so far, year over year, our Chinese shipments have been off a little bit. Well, that's because we shipped so doggone much last year. 
year. As we approach the latter half of the year, more than likely we will overtake what we uh, shift on a year-over-year basis to China to come up with uh, what would appear to be something very, very close to on par with 2020. Uh, so uh, for, for all of our wringing of hands, I don't have anything, Joe, that I could point to you and say, this is the problem. Yes, this is causing a problem. Uh, we are aware of it, uh, but it hasn't evidenced itself to a, a point where we're causing any concern. What about the uh, feed cost? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the grains, uh, the corn, the soybean uh, uh, prices uh, are jumping up globally. And, yes. Uh, it seems like movement of grain is is becoming an issue. Uh, that, uh, you, you humor me because the first question that you ask is about global pork uh, uh, demand, and that's fantastic. You didn't ask about profitability, and that right. is uh, uh, certainly uh, being negatively impacted, uh, although very, very positive, mind you, uh, still in aggregate, uh, being negatively impacted by the appreciation that we've seen in corn and soybeans. Uh, notice I said soybeans and not soybean meal, uh, and let, let's unfold this real quickly. Uh, the corn scenario, in my opinion, is real. As we're speaking, we're crossing $6.00 corn today uh, in the December contract. And some would say, oh my goodness, that's way out of bounds. I would tell you our regression work would say, no, it's very much inbounds. Uh, we're going to have a, a, an S&D next week from the government that gives us our first look at the 2021-22 uh, type balance sheets. Uh, my best guess is we're going to come in at less than 1.2 billion bushels on the old crop. We're going to be fighting to, to even hold serve at that level on the new crop. And those those type of carryout levels would justify $6 corn. And that's, Joe, that's given me the acres that the USDA uh, provided us in March, as well as trend line yields, which are someplace near 178.5. If you do something as simple as trim back yield to 172 bushels, which is what we had last year, uh, suddenly this makes a, a territory where $8 corn looks much more plausible. So uh, with all of my optimism that I just shared with you on the protein sector, that is our cautionary tale. Here's the good news for pork producers. If you've got to have one thing right and and you can completely mess up your corn and your soybean meal, and as long as you got the hogs right, you're going to do okay. And so uh, this is one where, where a, if a producer had zero coverage on the grain side, as long as he hasn't short sold his hogs, he's going to do okay. Obviously, the perfect world would have been I had the clairvoyance in order to buy $3.50 corn, left my hogs wide open, and uh, and we're enjoying the ride. Very, very few people had that much, uh, or, or it's called dumb luck if they did actually. Uh, but very, very few people are, uh, find themselves uh, in that category. And even if they do, uh, no matter how clever you are, it has a shelf life. And so let's just say that you're a year out uh, with your grain coverage. You're still taking a look at 2022 uh, that's trading at about $5.30. So there's no free lunch. There's just no, you, you can only run so long before before it catches up with you. Uh, within animal agriculture as far as the inputs are concerned. And I do see a very long tail on these input prices remaining high, also uh, commensurate with pork prices remaining high. All in all, a very, very good picture. So what do you think, uh, you know, the potential margin and forecast for producers would be, say, the next two or three quarters uh, uh, going into to 2022 then? 
so, I mean, if we take a forward look, uh, and we do this every night when we run our uh, mm -hmm. uh, projections, is you're, you've got very, very profitable nearby components here, you know, $50 ahead plus that we're making. Those do truncate once we get to the fourth quarter, largely because you're still feeding some July corn, and July corn's trading over $7 a bushel before we start to get into new crop. And so your October marketings uh, are going to start to roll over. We do have kind of a traditional feel to the market where uh, uh, I think the August October spreads probably about $18 or so right now. So you give up that revenue and you had the high price corn that you've already fed into those animals. And so it does curl you back into, into some light green numbers. Now, light green numbers uh, for the fourth quarter aren't all bad. Uh, we'll take that day in, day out. If you give, if you give me $50 profits during the summer and break even uh, during during the quote bad times uh, when we traditionally tend to oversupply pigs, uh, that's not all bad. Hogs and pigs report would also indicate that we're not going to overwhelm shackle space coming into the fourth quarter. And that's a very good thing. So uh, bright green numbers for the summertime, light green for the, uh, for the fall and kind of into the winter. And that's a good scenario for pork producers. Good. Yeah. You know, uh, during the pandemic uh, last year, you know, we had slaughter plant slowdowns and, mm -hmm. you know, partially due to, you know, employee, uh, you know, sickness and uh, plants just couldn't operate at capacity. Do you see that continuing or do you see that, uh, at least here in the U.S., uh, uh, getting more back to normal uh, through the rest of the year? So, I mean, we're, we're entering some phase of normalcy here. You know, we're, we're trying to get ourselves vaccinated and, and, and back mm -hmm. to work. Uh, still a couple of things lingering. Uh, number one, I'd, I'd say that labor is the biggest difficulty that we're having when we have our conference calls or our discussions with the packing community about what is holding them up. Uh, no, number one, it's lack of supply of available pigs right now, but also labor. Uh, you've got a, a, a current administration that's been very, very generous with some benefits that's probably discouraged folk. Uh, from coming back to work as they can, uh, uh, in many cases, make more money off of uh, the unemployment than they could uh, at a real job. Uh, I, I don't think that the packing plants, by the way, uh, fall into that category. Uh, you know, anybody that we talk to is uh, it's probably starting at about $18 an hour. So it's a matter of my willingness to work versus my next best alternative. Um, and that might be the spread. So it's not so much an economic, it's economic plus a motivation from that individual uh, in order to get back after it. Uh, the second thing that I think we've got coming at us is um, uh, a lawsuit uh, that's been filed in Minnesota in order to slow down some of the line speeds that have been bumped up uh, through yeah. that hemp ruling. Uh, that probably uh, starts to slow us down. Technically, if, if I'm to answer your question, does that slow us down? Well, yes, by by definition, it does. But again, uh, if you take the, the March hogs and pigs report at face value, it does not appear that we're going to tax slaughter capacity into the fourth quarter. So I think we're going to do okay. So the further process Processing, uh, you know, the, the deboning of hams and, and the value added piece probably uh, gets uh, gets truncated somewhat. We've seen some pretty good shipments of hams uh, to Mexico, uh, more than likely because of a labor situation, and we will manage around it. But uh, uh, labor is probably our limiting constraint. It's not capital or capital access. It is probably labor as far as uh, uh, any expansion is concerned. Any other policies or factors out there you know what what about proposition 12 yeah, is yeah. that a, a immediate or or longer term issue uh or is something that the pork producers i know are are concerned about 
No, certainly. And, and Prop 12 is just kind of what's our latest in vogue uh, type of concern that we're going to have. Uh, it starts in January of 2022. The animals that are marketed in January of 2022, if it if it makes it through the courts, don't have to been have to be compliant. But the farms that they come from would, if that makes any sense whatsoever. You just have to be compliant on that day for your future production. Um, that you're going to back off uh, your productivity a, a good solid 10 percent inside those sow units uh, because of the added space it's going to be necessary and your inventory is going to fall uh, and that's uh, that, that's outside anything that might also get truncated uh, just because of some of the practices that we're going to put in place um, in animal agriculture our our economic interests are also uh, uh, inexorably tied to the benefit to the animal a, a, a contented healthy animal also makes us the most money and I don't think we have to be apologetic about that and we employ those practices in order to make her, in this particular case in the sow unit, as productive as she could possibly be. And so I struggle mightily with the altering from a social agenda uh, that, that gets kind of gerrymandered inside here. But in direct answer to your question, uh, you have some of the packers that that have uh, large exposure inside California are indicating that they are going to run full steam toward a Proposition 12 uh, type of, of scenario, which, by the way, hasn't been completely defined. So I'm, I'm afraid that the goalposts get moved on us here a little bit. Um, okay. That uh, uh, the, the other piece uh, that we need to take into consideration uh, is just the cost of, of replacement of buildings. And if you just take very, very simple math that we've got a sow herd uh, that is 6 million sows or so, a shelf life of 30 years, that means we have to replace, given static production uh, productivity, about 200,000 sows a year and we're not doing that so uh, anybody that's looking to put up a new sow unit is going to get sticker shock on the on the cost but the same applies to the finishing so uh, with any luck we are going to back ourselves kicking and screaming into prosperity uh, number one <laughs> is uh, uh, with the price of grain that you that you had indicated there's there's just enough uneasiness uh, to to probably thwart expansion and then once we take a look at building costs and also the build out schedule because of they've got the same labor problems that we have uh upping our production is going to be difficult augmenting our production and then you throw in the prop 12 uh that's probably going to take someplace in the neighborhood of three quarters of a million sows if we're going to be completely compliant backing those off by 10 percent productivity and suddenly we end up in a uh, an accidental supply constraint that could last for several years that was one of the questions i was going to ask was yeah uh are, are we going to see expansion in the in the sow herds? And from what I hear, you're saying probably not anytime soon. Uh, no, no. You can have all the motivation you want. I don't think we've got the ability to to net expand given the changes that we've got going on in the industry. Yeah. Well, let's focus a little bit more about just producer profitability. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you know, in times of, of good. Uh, pig prices, but high feed prices, what should the producer focus on? Growth rate or feed efficiency? Uh both. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, that, that I've always said that if I was a feed uh, additive salesman, I'd want the pill that says do not die because what you just described is a high cost of production, a large investment. And so, so therefore, livability is probably the key metric that occurs. And, and I want to be cautious of, uh, of pork producers bemoaning high grain prices is we are still the most efficient. We've got the lowest grain right. prices. And from a competitive Globally. standpoint, as, as oxymoronic as it sounds, 
$6 corn is better for us than $3 corn. Um, uh, so I, I think we're in a real comfortable place as we sit right now. Uh, the average daily gain piece, you know, we don't have uh, paleen any longer. Uh, the, the price of fat has also moved very, very high. So once we hit kind of these uh, stressful summer temperatures, keeping your ADG high uh, is probably going to be a challenge. We are not space constrained at this point in time in the industry. There's lots and lots of buildings for rent, uh, and that's going to help us out just a little bit. So we're going to be back to more convent. I think we're going to be very conventional corn soy diets. There's uh, there's not a, um, a, a feed ingredient that's going to sneak itself in. Ethanol grind has returned to about 93% of what normal is. DDG production is almost back to uh, to where it should be. Uh, the ruminant side, because of the drought that we're having out in the West, will more than likely pay up a little bit more for those DDG. So I, I just see a very um, almost comfortable scenario. Uh, if you're in the Southwest right now, wheat is actually trading at a per bushel discount to corn, it probably, um, uh, and then when you put it on a metric ton, because we trades at 60 pounds versus the, the 56, you get 7% more. Uh, it's a it's a great deal. So uh, I, I see some minor adjustments going on, Joe, but uh, but by and large, we're in a corn soy diet uh, that looks to, to continue on through the summertime. Uh, and, and, uh, and again, I, I think this is all good. I don't see a boogeyman in the closet. You know, aside from an ASF outbreak that th completely thwarts our exports, there's nothing right now in the tables uh, that tell me, uh, oh my oh my goodness, we really need to be concerned. I think we're in good shape. Yeah, I think you brought out a good point about uh, mortality and calls and lightweight pigs at market. Uh, it's probably the number one factor that uh, it's going to affect profitability yeah. for that producer year in, year out. And and uh, you know, kind of as a rule of thumb, what's what's your guess on uh, a one percent increase or decrease in mortality? Uh, how's that affect the the net profit per pig, uh, say in the wean to finish stage, versus uh, the sow? Well, I mean, if, if you uh, uh, l let's kind of take this apart, that, that if you've got uh, uh, 1% and we're going to amortize all of those costs back over the, the entire system, if I'm at uh, 25 pigs per sow per year, uh, you know, that's uh, 0.25. And if my profitability is someplace in the neighborhood of, of uh, 50 bucks during the summertime, uh, that uh, that math would be, what, $10 or so uh, that, that you're kind of giving up. And that's, uh, and, and that's assuming that it dies before you fed it anything, too. Right. So uh, I think that you're going to be taking a look at on a per sow basis of so probably someplace in that 15 to $20 per sow uh, for each 1%. I'll double check my math if, just to make sure that I'm right on that. I'm doing that off the top of my head. Uh, sure. But 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 you, you are correct in that uh, the feed conversion that we see coming from the modern genetics is absolutely fantastic. The average daily gain is very consistent. The mortality is the piece, not only in the finishing barn, but obviously in the sow unit too, in order to keep that productivity high good good well uh what what top three uh short-term and long-term things you think producers u.s producers should focus on to earn more profit uh, uh for the rest of the year and going into next year uh so how about, how about so this? the top three things you would recommend uh for that producer to be doing 
with feed and, and mortality. Well, let, I'd even I'd even take it one step further in making a decision about what my future looks like. And let's hypothetically take a producer that is 67 years old, has fully depreciated out his buildings, uh, is a, a 2000 sow producer, more than likely has a, a bin full of corn and sows that are going to trade at 75 cents. And if you don't have a, a career path for uh, succession planning, it has never been a better time to get out of the industry. And we are seeing this. We are seeing the liquidation of those smaller sow farms. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. You get to go out on your own terms. A year ago, you might have been talking about some Willie Nelson song and a replay of the 1980s farm crisis. And here we are being able to profitably market our livestock, both both our breeding stock as well as our finishing stock, take the grain that's in the bin, sell that for $7 a bushel. And now I get to buy a new pickup truck and go to Florida anytime that I want. And I don't think that there's any shame in doing so. So from a, a, a depending upon your situation, I think you've got to decide what is my commitment going forward going to look like. I am still a huge fan of uh, of the acquisition of a land base in order to match off with my sow production. And in general, it takes one acre per sow. If I've got 5,000 sows, I need 5,000 acres in order to be vertically integrated. And I do think that that's a, a, a key component. You've seen the price of land that is uh, once again begun to appreciate. I think that's very justified. And again, that if, if the tail uh, of this appreciation in the grain market is anywhere near what I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be proved to be a very solid investment over time. So I would, um, uh, I don't know if we need to expand. I don't, I don't think that that that's the case. Uh, as a matter of fact, even the economic parameters, it's not about collusion. This is just about economics, probably prevent us from expanding. And because of that, we go uh, what I, again, I call kicking and screaming into prosperity, despite our best efforts. And I think that's a very, very solid situation. So I would encourage a producer to number one, recognize what are the economic parameters that are currently at play, handicap what they look like going forward, and then starting to take a peek at what are my risk mitigation tools that I have at my avail. And, and here, I'll give you just a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, the USDA has completely changed the insurance provisions, and they are subsidizing to the tune of about 50% of something that you could do on the board. And these are absolutely excellent programs. Uh, anybody that's, any of your listeners, we'd be happy to walk through what they look like. There's two different programs, depending upon the size of production uh, that you've got and some uh, little small nuances. Um that are entailed, but they're absolutely uh, uh, timely and and favorable economic uh, type opportunities in order to reduce my revenue uh, risk uh, going forward. And again, as we talked, it's the revenue side of the business that drives everything, drives the profitability uh, inside of pork production, and, and you've got an opportunity to participate. So number one, uh, uh, understand what is my commitment. If I'm not committed, that's okay. It's, it's a great time to liquidate. But number two, if you are under understanding what your risk management tools look like going forward and keep your production at a, a moderately decent pace. And I think you're going to be okay. Well, you know, Joe, I, 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 I'm a father of uh, eight kids and mm -hmm. 13 grandkids. And, you know, uh, thinking about the, a young person uh, just getting started, maybe in farming uh, or pig production, what would you recommend a young person interested in getting started into the pig industry today? Uh, what, what three main things would you ask them uh, or think or tell advise them to to think about uh, in, in terms of getting started into big production? Uh, number one, don't. 
don't think you're going to sit behind a desk. I think that getting some sweat equity is a, a massive piece here. Uh, there's some very good programs coming from the government in order to subsidize small farmers, in order to uh, acquire a land base. And then I would start uh, putting up some finishers. I fully recognize that the, the, the cost of finishers has gone up also. You're up a good solid 20%. Uh, you're probably closer to $350 per headspace. Uh, the rents have not moved up commensurate, and they're going to be a difficult time to cash flow at this point in time. Uh, all the, all that stated, uh, whether it's an existing building and or the land base that goes with it is is my opinion. That's where you start. You don't start in the sow unit. You start by putting in your sweat equity, a uh, utilization of the manure in order to fertilize the ground that you're then farming and start to build up some equity uh, in that case. Uh, after that, then then perhaps you come up with a five-year plan of the acquisition of the sow unit in order to supplant uh, the current uh, pigs moving into your own barn and you start to walk before you run. I don't think this is a, a great time uh, for someone to have grandiose plans of, of uh, you know, venture capital and starting a 50,000 sow unit. We had that a lot back in the late right. 80s and early 90s, and it um, uh, it was it was a timely opportunity. I don't see that same thing. I see inflation slowly growing in the United States. I've got a lot of concerns about our monetary policy and what that means for trade across the world, and everything that I see still points towards inflation. And if that's the case, owning physical assets is not going to harm you too bad. And again, in, in what is currently a relatively low interest rate environment is not bad. This isn't a game of perfect. Not everything always lines up uh, perfectly. And, and certainly the building, the increase in building costs is one of the items that thwarts my little perfect vision of what I just shared with you. Uh, but it, but if you get 80% of the things beginning to line up, and I do think that you're at that uh, case with, with a forward profitability look, uh, and the other opportunities, you've got to be able to move off the dime and, and, and take that risk and uh, get into production. And I would absolutely encourage anyone uh, that, that's got that passion to participate, not not to allow fear or, or the neighbors talk about, I don't think you can do this, to interfere with your dreams. And if you're going to fail, fail miserably because it's the best thing that you're ever going to learn from. Good comment. Yeah. You know, uh, any any business venture you get into, there's always risk. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, uh, giving uh, a younger person advice, uh, uh, what about uh, should they get a college degree in, say, animal science, or should they go uh, work with a uh, another producer for a mm -hmm. while to kind of learn their way uh, through the process? Uh, well, I, I love this question. I love yeah. this. Um, uh, keep in mind, I'm in Ames, Iowa. I, I get to talk yeah. down at Iowa State on a frequent basis and get to interface uh, with those folk. Um, and anybody that's discouraged about the next generation simply needs to spend a little time on campus, uh, specifically in the ag college. I, I fully admit that I that my, my segment of reality might be slightly skewed, but I like it there. Um, uh, but you've got a lot of bright folk. I don't think that, that, that uh, money spent on education is ever wasted uh, whatsoever. And it's not about the degree. It's it's learning how to think and how to, how to critically uh, evaluate opportunities moving forward. So I'm a huge fan. Uh, whether that's uh, in a two-year tech school or, or a four-year school, I'm not I'm not that picky. I think the the discipline is uh, what the interesting part is. You bring up the social aspect, and and what if I go back to work for dad? And and I'm a, a also a huge fan of what you're advocating here. Let's get off the farm. Let's find out how somebody else does it, and so you can come back to the family farm, perhaps with a different 
different skill set uh, than just simply being the, the you know the junior associate that gets told what to do all the time and, and putting yourself back into that subservient role. Um, the the most successful families that we work with have gone through that experience of of uh, uh, that the, the 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 sibling the the son or the daughter works off site uh, for a period of three years plus or minus and then comes back to the family farm with a skill set and with the diversity and, and different opinions that are then valued by the family. And it's kind of that, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And so suddenly uh, when you've been away for a while, you're welcomed back uh, into your home farm operation and, you, and you're a productive citizen. And you don't just simply have the same last name as the guy that's, that, that owns the place. You get the respect of the employees within the organization for what you're bringing to the table, not just because of your birthright. Well, thank you very much, Joe, for your uh, conversation and appreciate you being willing to, to talk with me today. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dr. Crenshaw. Thank you for listening to Swine Trends. Now we'd like to hear from you. So please visit us at apcproteins.com and leave us a message through our contact page. And don't forget, please subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss out on the next episode of Swine Trends. Until then, APC is wishing you lots of healthy pigs that thrive all the way to market.